following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is November 2nd. I am Dan Bauer, joined by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, are you ready for the weekend? Oh, so ready. I've been... uh getting after it at my new job here for the last nine or so days, so I'm very excited for a weekend. Well, speaking of dudes getting after it, Nick Mullins last night <laughs> throws for three touchdowns, 262 yards, leads the Niners to a 34-3 win over the Oakland Raiders. Anshu, what did you see out of Nick Mullins, and is there any chance he can repeat this ever again in his entire life? Um. I saw, first of all, to answer your first question, I saw a very confident, completely system-sure quarterback. I mean, I thought that, you know, what Kyle Shanahan said going into the game, according to the telecast, was that he probably knows the offense better than anyone in the building aside from Kyle himself. Um, So pretty impressive to hear that from your head coach and play caller. But, you know, that being said, I think I read a stat where he didn't throw one pass where it was contested within a yard of the receiver. So, I mean, Kyle basically designed this thing up and for Nick Mullins to succeed and Oakland's defense was just horrendously bad right after the first drive, really. They were all actually including the first drive. But, you know, just a dream scenario. I mean, even in the preseason, Nick Mullins was a disaster. He threw, I think, one touchdown to four picks or something like that. So, you know, and that was against third stringers. To do this, even though it's the Raiders' defense, um, you know, is very, very impressive on Thursday night, and his emotions came pouring out after the game. Pretty fun to watch. And I know our buddy Josh was a big fan of the game because he was pressed into starting Nick Mullins in our two-quarterback fantasy league. So kudos to our buddy Josh. What a pickup I am. I was losing it uh, watching that. Right now. But uh, question, you know, we've seen this before, kind of flash in the pan. It's a guy's first game, it's his first couple games, and then uh, you see defenses figure him out, coordinators be able to scheme around it. Uh, do you think that this is kind of likely happen? If Nick gets a couple starts, uh, we'll eventually see the NFL defenses correct itself like normally happens with kind of young flash in the pan guys like that, uh, or do you think there's a chance to sustain long term? Uh, I mean, just going off of how he looked, I think, you know, there's a chance. And with Kyle Shanahan, with George Kittle, with that unreal catch and run down the field, 72 yards, I think that propped up the stats a little bit. Obviously, he ends up throwing the touchdown after. But, you know, I I think that there's a chance. Look, after this week, the Rams have the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. I think you get more Mullins. I guarantee you the NFL is going to push the Niners to start Mullins. Then they get a bye, so you get some time off. And then at Tampa – before he goes to the 12s against Seattle and then Denver and then Seattle at home, Chicago and the Rams. But, you know, there's, I, I, I don't see why you wouldn't let this guy keep going, especially for at least for one more game and then into the bye and then Tampa, um, you know, and just see what you've got in those two games. I mean, who knows? Like, 
he's got a nice, you know, mechanic situation there. He, I think he throws a really nice ball. Uh, he definitely could have thrown at least one interception, but possibly two. And, um, but you know, overall I, I trust Mullen's ability. I trust Kyle. And I think that you're seeing a bunch of hard prep pay off here, at least for one game. We'll see how he looks, but uh, I think your point's well taken. And, uh, We'll just have to see. I think that there's there's a chance that we see a bunch of Nick Mullins here the rest of the season. Yeah, he's only 23. He's got plenty of time to grow, develop. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on it. Let's go to the other side of that sideline in last night's Thursday night game. Um, Oakland just, I don't, it looked like they nobody cared. I mean, there was a couple runs that it honestly looked like a video game set on easy that the Niners were just running around yeah. people. I mean, there's zero effort. No one is trying. Uh, is this, I mean, is this on Gruden or is this on the players? Who do you place the blame on? This team is way too good to be one and seven. Whose fault is it? Yeah, I, I was more underwhelmed with the defense and the offense, although obviously three points against the Niners, not exactly a glowing, you know, performance there. But I, I agree with you. I thought especially – after that first drive of the second half, when it they pretty much put it away, the Niners did, it just looked like they gave up. And I, I lay that at the feet, too, of Paul Gunther. I mean, their defensive coordinator, former Bengals D coordinator. I know Josh would have more to say about him. But, you know, just a really, really awful performance. No juice at all. And you have to wonder. I know you mentioned this with Khalil Mack a while ago. But when you trade Mack, when you trade Amari Cooper, you know, at some point you just – start to feel that you know it's hard to believe in yourself when your own coaches and you know personnel people have given up on you seemingly so uh i fault them i thought definitely fault the players more but paul gunther there's a decent chance he gets fired before this week is over yeah i I mean it's hard to hard to disagree with you on that one um so let's go to sunday's games we'll do a little preview uh first two games on the on the slate i want to talk about are uh, due to some new leadership, either on the sideline or on the field. So uh, Browns against Chiefs, Bills against Bears. Bills or Browns, more more likely to pull the upset? Oh, boy. Um, I'll say the Bills, uh, just because I know Nathan Peterman starting a quarterback. That's awful, but the Bears could be without Mack and Allen Robinson again. And the Bills defense actually looked pretty game, unlike – the Raiders last night. I mean, I thought that against the Patriots, they looked very solid. And you know, anything can happen in a low-scoring game. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't think that either one's gonna. I don't think the Bills are gonna win. But if they keep it really low-scoring and close, they could do it. I don't think the Browns are like definitely gonna lose this game by any means. I just don't know what Kitchens is gonna bring, and I just think that's a lot of turnover against a very veteran. Uh, coaching staff and a very veteran team to be able to spring that upset. Although at home, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the Chiefs are just such an unstoppable force right now. It's tough to pick against them. Right. Yeah. I, uh, debating being in attendance for it. So I will. Oh, let, gotta will go let see them a home show. <laughs> let you know. So let's stick with the AFC North. Uh, one of the biggest games. We got a lot of good games this weekend, but one of the biggest Steelers, Ravens, uh, Steelers at four, two and one Ravens at four and four. Uh, has some very big implications on that AFC North race. So what do you see coming out of uh, Baltimore in this one? Yeah, Baltimore looked pretty bad at Carolina last weekend, but that game was a little bit fluky. If you go back, there were some tipped passes that resulted in huge plays for Carolina. I 
I still think the Ravens have the best defense in the league. Um, although if they do poorly again here this week, it's going to be tough to argue in their favor. But I, I do like Baltimore at home. I know that they've already won once against Steelers, but um should be a really good game. And uh, I, I expect the Ravens to unload a little bit on offense. A lot of frustration, I think, not getting John Brown the ball. I expect him to have a big game. And, um, you know, I, I, I like Baltimore at home against the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the Ravens on quite a slide get blown out by the Panthers, uh, barely get beat by the Saints. Uh, I mean, big win against the Titans and, you know, lose to the Browns before that. So yep. the, it's a team that definitely needs to get a correction. And uh, the Steelers team kind of on the opposite end of that, playing really well the past couple of weeks, look pretty good. Uh, so we will see how that You like happens. the Steelers? I think, unfortunately, I mean, I don't like the Steelers, but in this game, I will pick them. Yeah, sorry. Pick, <laughs> pick them, pick them to win uh, this one. I would, I'd go Steelers on this. I think, just think, uh, especially, I, I think that like that pissed off, like team pissed off at Le'Veon thing is going to help a little bit. I think they, they're kind of, uh, that's got to stick in your craw a little bit and kind of. For sure. You know, we can go out, we can win without you. It's like tired. I don't care. Um, and so we'll see if that propels them. Uh, let's go to the other north, uh, the NFC North. Lions-Vikings in a game that has big implications for your team in the NFC North. Uh, a, a Vikings team that I've, I've tried to be high on, and they just keep disappointing. And a Lions team that just is trying to hang on, trying to stay in that divisional race. Uh, Minnesota is five-point favorites. Uh, I, I actually like the Lions to cover that uh, and maybe win it outright. What do you think? Wow, love it. Well, the Lions trade Golden Tate this week, so it is going to be a different look. I mean, they didn't have tape for a couple games last year, but you know now they have Kenny Galladay with a season under his belt. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how their offense looks. And you're right, this Vikings team, I just can't get my arms around them. I mean, again, their most impressive performance this year was a loss at the Rams on that Thursday night, and their defense looked horrendous that game. I still don't expect Everson Griffin to play. I think that Xavier Rhodes with the high angle sprain probably doesn't play. I kind of like what you're saying, at least as far as the spread goes, the five points, I, I do think the Lions can cover that. I would love to see them win this game outright. Um, I, I do think they get, getting rid of Golden Tate was in part to free up looks for Carrion Johnson and Theo Riddick. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes there's like an addition by subtraction factor. And I could see the Lions potentially looking more efficient with fewer mouths to feed. So I like your thought process there. I probably feel the Vikings will win, but I would like to see the, I think the Lions can definitely cover. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, Redskins, Falcons, I want to talk about real quick, if only for the fact that at this point of the year, if you would have asked us, uh, you know, Redskins, Falcons, one of them is going to be five and two, one of them is going to be three and four. Who is who? I think 99% oh, yeah. of sports fans would have said Falcons at five and two and Redskins at three and four, but that's not it. So, uh, you know, the Redskins are staying hot. They're one and a half point favorites at home. I mean, which indicates that the Falcons are, are one and a half points better. I don't necessarily agree with that uh, at all. Just, uh, you know, the Falcons team's been playing well. They, they've been hot. Um, and so maybe they can come out with a win. But I like the Redskins to keep it rolling at home. Wow. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm on the opposite side of that. I think that you're right. I think the Falcons have been hot. They had come off their bye. I expect some of their defensive issues to get shored up despite all the injuries. I just think that they, they with a week to prepare, they might – be ready for this. I I just don't get how Washington is good. Their defensive line has been awesome, and Adrian Peterson has channeled the fountain of youth, I guess. But I, I don't really see why they're how they've been doing this. And 
you know, Atlanta at three and four, if they win, they're right back in this thing as far as a wild card. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be real interesting. I would, I would say I, I like the Falcons against the spread with the one and a half and probably just outright, obviously at that point, but this is a huge game for Washington. If they win in that division with another NFC contender W, especially at home, um, I think you're looking at a team that can really plan on the playoffs. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, speaking of playoffs, battle of two second place teams, uh, Chargers and Seahawks, a Seattle team that has had the benefit of uh, a couple powder puff games here recently. Um, you know, some of their wins, uh, some of their wins, uh, not against the most premier of opponents. They get a big True. The Raiders, the Cardinals. Um, they lose the to the Rams by a couple uh, and, and beat the Lions. I mean, that's a good win. Uh, but this Chargers team is one that I personally had to witness be pretty hot. Uh, and Phillip Rivers still dominating. Um, and, uh, again, some powder puff wins there. So uh, against the Niners and the Browns, uh, Womp Womp and the Raiders. So uh, in the battle of uh, most recent powder puff games, time to actually face the music. Who do you see in Seahawks and Chargers? Oh, man, that home advantage is so big for the Seahawks. Their defense has played so much better than I expected, especially after Earl Thomas. You're right, a lot of that against lesser opponents. But, you know, going on the road against Detroit and doing what they did is no easy task at all. Um, So kudos to the Seahawks. They've got a recommitment to that run game. Their offensive line looks a million times better than it has the last few years. That being said, uh, the Chargers off the bye, I think a huge difference. They should get Melvin Gordon back. They've got Phil Rivers. I like the Chargers to go into Seattle and uh, spring the narrow upset on Seattle. Interesting. I actually, I'll agree with you on that one. I know it doesn't make for as interesting of a show, uh, but I, uh, I would agree with you. I think the the Seahawks team is, is overrated. I don't, I think they are not as good as their four and three record would say they are. Um, So uh, now we get to really the cream of the crop of what we're all looking forward to on Sunday. So Rams saints followed by Packers Patriots uh, saints, Coming off a uh, a big win last week, um, and yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. That's what it was. Uh, big win last week, and then the Rams, obviously, with a win over your boys. Uh, and this is this is likely a battle of what could really be your NFC Championship game. Um, and so, Rams and Saints. I'm gonna make you pick who wins today and who wins if they meet in January. Oh, well, I think it's relevant because honestly, whoever wins this game is in the driver's seat for that one seat, and that would determine where this game is played. I mean, granted, it should be a decent weather game either way. Obviously, in New Orleans, it would be a perfect weather game. But um, I, I do think that it is it is a big deal because the Saints need that home field much more than the Rams do. The Rams don't even really have a home field advantage, as we saw last week with the Green Bay game. The crowd was about 50-50 Rams-Backers fans. So, uh I like the Saints. I like the Saints outright to win this game. I think that they will knock the Rams off the Rams schedule. Just, I mean, it, they've done an amazing job of navigating it already with wins against the Chargers and the Vikings and at Seattle and at Denver. But now they had Green Bay, then at New Orleans, Seattle, Kansas City before their bye. Kansas City, obviously, that neutral site game. I think they'll lose two of these. Uh, they already beat Green Bay, but I think that at New Orleans is going to be a problem for them. I like the Saints today. I do like the Rams in uh, in the NFC title game if that were to happen, though, even if it's in New Orleans. I, I still think the Rams will get the one seed, and I think they'll ultimately win the NFC. So I, I, I'd i like the Rams to get the one seed, but I might disagree with you on if they meet in the playoffs. I think there's something very much to be said about Drew Brees and his experience. I know that Saints defense is mm-hmm. shaky, 
but you know, Jared Goff, you know, he does obviously they made the playoffs last year and he does have some experience, but I think it's a whole different beast uh, to kind of know, okay, a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I got to beat Drew Brees. I got to beat Drew Brees. I got I think that has a tendency to make a rookie quarterback maybe press or not a rookie quarterback, a young quarterback press a little bit. Uh, and so I, I might take the Saints in the playoffs, but I agree. I think the Rams get this one uh, this week. So um, let's get to your boys, Packers, Patriots, Packers at three, three and one Patriots at six and two and absolutely rolling Boston. Uh, just this entire city is pretty much unstoppable at this point. Uh, any, any chance your pack, can go into Foxborough and get a win. Yeah, you know, I'm usually pretty bearish on the Packers, but I I do think that they're going to go in and make it a game at least. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs. I think that's pretty much exactly what they should be. But if you watch that New England-Buffalo game on Monday night, I know it was in Buffalo and the weather wasn't perfect, but, like, New England did not look that good. They didn't look that good against the Bears either the week before. I... I think that the Packers and, of course, the Kansas City game, you know, very much up in the air. Uh, so those were their last three performances. I do think New England will come out looking a lot sharper on Sunday night in front of their home crowd. But I give Green Bay a, certainly a puncher's chance. I think that that spread is something they can cover. And I really think that their their locker room and their roster is in the best state it's been in all all season. And, uh, I yeah, I, I think Green Bay covers. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's a must-watch game. And it's, uh, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see the Michael Jordan goat ad, but I've truly enjoyed that one. So we'll see. But I think the Packers have a good chance to keep it close at least. Yeah. I mean, I think they can keep it close. It all depends on, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and his health. We haven't really talked about it in a couple of weeks, but you obviously are watching a lot of Packers games pretty intently. So kind of update, yeah. uh, update our listeners who maybe don't get a chance to watch what Aaron Rodgers really looks like on the field and how healthy he looks. Uh, he looks better. He looks a lot, a lot healthier. Um, I think that, you know, if it was a sprained MCL, like the four to six week time frame that it generally is for that, he's clearly come out of that with a bye. He, he looked a lot better last week. He's still not running forwards as much unless he absolutely needs to. But like this week, he, he's been wearing a brace. He's, he's aggravated it a few times. And this week, it looks like in practice he's shedded the brace for a much lighter version. He had a very big, clunky one that he admittedly doesn't like. So um, he's still not practicing on the first day of the week generally, but that's okay. Um, they, they've looked much sharper. And, you know, I think that the younger receivers and him are developing an interesting rapport. So that, along with his health, is making their offense look a lot more dangerous. So I think for those reasons, uh, this is a must-watch, and I think both offenses are going to go off. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be – I mean, that's obviously why it's a Sunday night game. It's uh, probably yeah. probably going to be the game of the weekend. Uh, we talked a lot about – Two amazing games there, by the way. Oh, the yeah, back-to-back. Uh, I don't expect that most people will be switching their TV uh, between much else than Fox and NBC uh, coming on <laughs> Sunday night. Um, sure. But we talked a lot about the L.A. Rams. Let's go to the baseball team in L.A. Uh, Manny Machado with a pretty interesting social media post, don't you? You want to tell us a little bit about that? We can – talk a little bit uh, about that before we let our listeners go to their uh, Friday. Yeah, sure. So interesting, you know, basically on his Instagram account, Manny Machado, thanks Dodger fans for, uh, you know, the memories of the last few months, essentially. <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously when Corey Thier gets knocked out for the season, the Dodgers had a little bit of a hold. Not really. It was kind of a luxury, but he obviously Machado was available and they had the amazing prospect load to, 
grab him. Um, but it seems like there's just no fit for him, which makes sense with Justin Turner there and with Seager coming back. Um, they're not going to try to make a decision between those three. They they just basically said deuces to Machado and Machado likewise. So it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that it's fascinating. That means he will be a free agent for sure, obviously, and, and out there to be changing teams yet again. Uh, I I think that his case is going to be fascinating. I mean, the dude is in his mid-20s. He came into the year saying he's going to get $300 million potentially over 10 years. Uh, I think that his stock has dropped a ton over the last few weeks, a ton meaning like I think he lost dozens, maybe a, maybe 15, 20% off of what he would have otherwise gotten in terms of years and dollars. So interested to hear what you think, but um, you know, I don't think there's going to be a massive bidding war for Manny Machado. Yeah, I, I definitely think the, I, the, uh, all the issues of he had this postseason and kind of coming to light how much of a dick he is uh, is definitely going to hurt a little bit. But he's also Manny Machado, and somebody's going to pay him, and someone's going to pay him a lot of money. The interesting part for me, which I don't understand, is all the talk. He wants to go to New York. He wants to play with the Yankees. Um, but I just I don't understand how it makes sense for the Yankees to do it. I mean, you have Gregorius at, at short. You have Andahar, uh, one of the top prospects, uh, as of a couple of years ago in baseball, at third. You have... Flavor Torres. Flavor Torres. Like, yep. we're, I don't, I just don't understand, unless you're going to get rid of one of these guys who, uh, from all indications, could be a cornerstone of your franchise uh, going forward. You have to get rid of one of those guys, or you have to move one of them to the outfield. You know Machado's not going to, you know, play right field. Uh, no. Or, which, again, I don't even know where you put them, because then where do you put Aaron Judge? Where do you put Stanton? Um, I just, I don't see a fit for Machado in New York. Am I crazy, or, or what do you think? Yeah, no, you're not. Um, I think that, I think that this is just what's going to happen. Like, I think that both teams have wanted it for a while. I, Andujar, you know, was awesome last season, obviously tied for the AL league amongst rookies and home runs with my boy Daniel Polka. But, um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, Machado at 26, it's kind of one of those situations where you just sort of fit him in and it's classic Yankees to just throw a bunch of money at him. But I agree that this is not their pressing need. I, I would, say if anything you know they should they should be looking hard at Bryce Harper um I doubt that they will because like you said with Judge and Stanton and you know they have they have prospects in the system and you know I I I think it's an awkward fit for either of those guys you obviously look to the Yankees when big dollars come out but um you know they they both are not natural fits I I still think that Machado ends up there that they'll figure out some way to Flip Andujar or uh, and or Gregorius and move them for pitching help potentially starting pitching help specifically, um, but it's it's not a natural and I I actually think that could be a huge bust for that franchise if they end up signing him to the type of deal that he expects, which I you know he's going to want ten for three hundred right so he's going to be thirty six when making thirty million a year which is uh, even accounting for inflation that's still going to be way too much. And if you have any issues with the way that he played over the last few weeks, are you really willing to sign that essential blank check to Machado? I I don't think so. And then, like you said, with a team like the Yankees, you don't even have to have that risk. You don't have that hole at shortstop or third base. So I'm not really sure how that works out for him. But, you know, he you know he is going to get paid. I just don't know how much and to where. Right. Uh, so speaking of the where, I'm just going to real quick and then we'll get going here. But um Assuming it's not the Yankees, assuming it's not the Dodgers, give me one team Manny Machado could that make sense to go to. I uh, I mean, I guess the Cubs 
the Cubs are a team that wants to get much better at hitting. I don't see a fit there either. I think that they would have to get rid of, you know, I mean, basically Zobris comes off the books, I believe, next year. And then Russell is, uh, is you know, a guy that I can't imagine really factoring into their future at this point, at least. And then, you know, so then maybe you, you have Baez at second and Machado at short, Brian at third, Rizzo at first, which, oh, my God, that infield. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's possible. I And then I would throw out the Angels as well. I just think that they've got to figure out a way to capitalize on the Trout, Atani stuff all they can. Um, I'm not sure. You know, it's never worked out for them at all um, in the Trout era, but it might be the one way to try to hold Trout you know, they're in LA. I, I'm not sure I see it happening, but that's another team I would say with a big checkbook that might be willing to spring for them. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. I know you and I both love baseball off season, so I'm sure oh, we'll, so talk, good. we'll talk plenty about it. Uh, and probably both of our teams are going to have uh, some serious storylines uh, this off season. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Uh, I for will, sure. we'll go to, oh, by the ways so I'll stick with baseball. I'll go first and we'll let Anshu close it out. Um, but uh, speaking of, Bryce Harper and big checkbooks. Nationals will make Bryce Harper his qualifying offer uh, on Friday here uh, today, as you're hopefully listening to this. Uh, he then has 10 days to accept it. It'll be a $17.9 million deal. I don't necessarily expect him to accept it. I think he's going to test free agency. Um, but, uh, you know, the Nationals are doing whatever they can do to keep him around. So uh, we'll keep an eye out on that. Anshu, what do you got for him, by the way? Yeah, just to add to that real quick, I'm surprised I was listening to Tom Verducci this morning on Dan Patrick, and uh, he basically said that don't rule the Nats out, and that Bryce Harper, I think all things being equal, would rather stay in the in Washington. So we'll see. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, maybe them not trading him at the deadline will end up with him staying in Washington. I mean, I think it'd be surprising personally, but it's a possibility at least. Um, so my, oh, by the way, is having to do with golf and apparently next year in an effort to speed up the game, they've basically, the USGA has decided to allow pins to remain in the hole while you're putting. Um, and it's mainly focused on amateur play, but Brian, DeSha- Bryson DeChambeau has come out and said that he will leave the stick in the hole as well while he's putting on the green as a sort of backboard. And, you know, DeChambeau, not exactly the most popular player on tour. This is not going to help either, but, uh, I think, you know, the way that we grew up watching golf has changed so much already with the emphasis on athleticism and, you know, the the amount of technology involved in the tools that they use. But this is another, this is a whole other weird aesthetic that if, if the, you know, the pins are in the hole as you're putting on the green, it's going to make for a lot of strange memories, I think, going forward. Yeah, I add that to the list of strange memories from uh, our our good friend Mike and his golf outing we partake on. Uh, so yeah. bouncing balls off pins next summer uh, <laughs> to that. So yeah. uh, we will we will definitely keep an eye on that. We'll keep you updated with any good stories from our golf games and trips uh, with that. But, yeah, it's definitely an interesting storyline, and, and I love the villain move of it all. I'm saying screw it. I'm just going to leave it in. Uh, yep. And, I mean, it's going to give you an advantage. I, I'm, I just can't imagine if you're allowed to do it why you wouldn't do it. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, some apparently stuff. certain flagsticks are made of different composites that can help, like, not have the ball bounce off them, essentially, as opposed to, like, so the one's fiberglass, one's a different material, and, you know, just like you've ever, you've ever played basketball on, like, a hard backboard or a hard rim, it changes the way the ball comes off it, so kind of interesting. I mean, I, I just, it's never even crossed my mind that this would be a possibility. Can't wait to spend 
next year's major championship previews talking about what kind of material the flag sticks are made out of yeah. and <laughs> what advantage that gives Tiger versus Kepka versus uh, DJ of <laughs> yeah. really, you know, it's like talking about what kind of grass is good for a player, or like what kind of surface material in tennis is good for a player. It's like, well, they got those fiberglass uh, flag sticks there. At yeah. The PGA, so. <laughs> yep. The, the fast greens and the fiberglass sticks. Yep. Right. Oh boy. Well, uh, you know, if you're listening in a place that uh, has some good weather still, hopefully you can hit uh, one final round of golf this weekend. But for now, we'll let you guys get to that. For Anshu Kana, I am Dan Bauer. Thanks for listening to The Leftovers.